G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. Today, I had an amazing conversation with Eric Johnson. Now, some of you may know Eric from his previous life as the Army OT guy. Eric's now left the Army and is helping to make gaming more accessible to people with disabilities. Uh, I wanted to have a conversation with him and explore exactly what he's doing, how he's doing it, his thoughts on gaming as an occupation, and a whole range of other things around the use of technology in clinical practice. So I really loved this conversation. I can't thank Eric enough, and I really hope you guys enjoy it as well. You're right. I mean, OT found me. Uh, I certainly didn't know what the profession was, probably like most of the other people in the world. Uh, so um, I was a young private in the Army. Um, uh, this was back in 1996, 97. And I was stationed overseas in Germany. We were gearing up to go to Bosnia. And I was in this just really bad car accident where I was burned over about 25, 30% of my body. Um, and, uh, you know, I woke up a week later in this burn center in Germany and they kind of just stabilized me, medevaced me to this burn center in the U S, um, here down in San Antonio. Um, and it was there where I met my first occupational therapist. I of course said, uh, you ready to do some physical therapy? And she was like, pump the brakes there. The, the line that will hold uh, you forever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like, well, we're occupational therapy. And I was like, well, you know, is there a difference? And she said, yeah, let's talk about that. And so, you know, so, you know, uh, you know, throughout that kind of uh, conversation, but also our interaction together, you know, I realized that, you know, OT had such a different um, piece of the pie and different approach to what therapy was. Um, uh, you know, as I move forward more and more, I realized that everything that we do is mental health. And that's really why we're so different than any other profession um, because we have this very formal education in, in physical rehabilitation, but also a formal education in mental health. And really uh, you can do mental health without physical rehabilitation, but you can't do um, physical rehabilitation without mental health. And uh, you know, so really I've been um, you know, pursuing this kind of homeostasis of life, you know, whether it be, you know, through mental health, uh, or, or some kind of physical disability. So, um, that's kind of how OT found me. That's, that's, I can't express how happy that makes me hearing that because that's a message that I've been pumping into, I guess, every, pretty much every OT I've ever met for a decade now is like, yeah, cause they, one of my pet peeves is when people call themselves a mental health OT. I'm like, every OT should be able to work in every setting. Like you can't, yeah, you can't absolutely. separate one or the other. Uh, no. You need both components. So you, as an OT, you need to look at both components. So that's, that's, that's interesting so awesome. because even like, you know, I'm working a lot in video games right now and really in the video game world, all for me, it's mental health. Like I know I'm doing a lot of physical rehabilitation or like figuring out ways to change people's, um, you know, uh, uh, perception of how you play video games, but really I'm just enabling somebody to believe that they can do something, you know, like the, the whole 
um, purpose of our existence is that we're trying to convince somebody that they're able to do, you know, and yeah, yeah. I think that so many people look at, especially physical rehabilitation as something that I just need to fix this arm or fix their shoulder or teach them how to walk. But really it has nothing to do with the end game. Mm. The end game is just um, success, successful reentry to the life that you had, you know? And so, and that's all we know. In a lot of ways in the grand scheme of things, just fixing, say the arm, for example, is the easy bit. (laughs) Like yeah. trying to get someone to believe yeah. that they can, uh, you know, get back into that life or do something that they, you know, at the moment might not be able to think they can. That's quite hard. And that's a, that's a skill. That is hard because, you know, I had this girl when I was a really young OTR um, in Georgia, this young girl came in and she, she was doing, she was had a, having a recovery from like a spinal surgery. And I swear she was probably like 20, 21, um, but she was on disability, living with her parents. And I remember chatting with her, like she was recovering okay. Actually, the reason she was in OT is because she had gotten carpal tunnel because she was using uh, a cane um, all the time because of her back. Mm-hmm. And so we were, we, I was working with her carpal tunnel but I remember asking her, I was like, well, what do you want? You know, what are you doing? Like, cause you know, where are we going with this? So your carpal tunnel's fixed, mm. you know, your back is okay. Now what, what's your plan? What are your goals? And I remember like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Like, you know, I, I live at home and you know, like I, I'm working at, you know, Burger King or something, you know? And I was like, well, is that what you want? Like, have you realized the, you know, the book that your life wrote right now? Like, is this the conclusion, you know? And I remember her just kind of been thrown back. Like, what do you mean? I was like, well, are you just existing until to get to the next day? Are you trying to find something further than that? You know, do you really want to experience life or is this your thing? Like you like to, kind of live off of disability mooch off your parents um as an adult like is that is that our is that where you saw your life going kind of thing yeah so it was so interesting and i think it blew her mind and i said i really want to encourage you to like figure out what it is that you want and who it is that you want to be like at the end of the day i want you to want that stuff you know, because like if I ask somebody like, what do you want? And they'll say, well, I just, you know, I just don't want to have pain. So what? Mm, Where does pain lead you? What does it prevent you from? Well, I mean, I just can't do X, Y, Z. Okay. So that's really our, our situation. But like, let, I start, I actually start asking people questions like, would you like to travel? Sure. That'd be great. Well, why don't you? Well, I mean, you know, excuse, excuse, excuse. And it's like, well, just travel. You know, live life, man. Like we're, you know, we exist on this planet for, you know, a small amount of years. And honestly, like, why aren't we experiencing more of the potential, you know, of life? You know, like I want to die so tired of doing things. You know, matter of fact, I feel like today, if I died sitting here talking to you, or if I knew that in five minutes I was gone, I'd be able to say, man, you guess what? 
My life was awesome. I have some amazing children. I have an incredible wife. I've lived life so full. And I can honestly say that I'm ready. Let's do it. You know, and that's yeah. a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. It takes you know? away, I guess, one of the uncertainties uh, that yeah. I guess everyone that's sort of mortal uncertainty yeah. that everyone usually feels. But that's a that's a really good way of looking at it. I've, I've not, I mean, that's, a really that's about as big a picture as you can look at it but that's uh that's a really good way of looking at it i've never never taken that stance with the client anyway or myself really yeah no i like that well, well and everybody's different each client that you work with is different i mean it's not going to be that conversation with yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. you know but you know what's funny is um you know uh when i would when i was working at walter reed I would work with guys who, you know, had limb loss, like lost arms and legs. And, um, and a lot of times, you know, they're not going to tell you everything that they want, you know, like as an OT, you know, you got to pull some of that out. Um, but I will say like, you know, after working with everybody, the two biggest things that they really, the the guys really wanted to be able to do is have sex and play video games. Those are the two biggest things, you know, how old are they? You know, so young adults. that's, yeah, that's what young and adults of course, do. Normal stuff. Yeah, of course. Uh, as OTs, you know, that's a big part of of, of who we are is helping pe- helping people work through that. You know, but and 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 of course, so the two things are one a big stigma of, with sex mm. and intimacy, um, and people shy away from that all the time. And then the other one, video games, is a joke to people. Like, you know, I work in gaming now, and so many OTs just laugh at it like it's not an important occupation. And I was like, do you realize how important it really is? Mm. Um, I mean, it is the one of the biggest industries in the world. Like everybody games. And if, you know, I guarantee that everybody who's a naysayer probably has words with friends or angry birds or yeah. something like that on their phone and they play. Yeah. So I'm like, believe it or not, you're a gamer. You know, yeah. we all like to play games. We want to have fun. That's it. And I think a lot of people just say, oh, I'm not a gamer because they don't, maybe they don't own a console or something. But like you right. said, like everyone, there's, there's there's many more different ways that they can game. Like you could have a deck of cards or, you know, you play Mahjong or do Sudoku or whatever. Like there's other ways that you can game yeah. in sort of with the yeah. less or the more primitive technologies. Like, you know. You know what I should do? I should at my next conference that I speak at say, I've got $20 right here for somebody that can bring me up your smartphone without a game on it. Show me that you don't have a game you on your phone. You have everyone in there just deleting everything before they came up. Well, <laughs> and, and I'll be like, you know, this is integrity. Don't, you know, I don't want yeah, you to yeah. delete all your games, but show me somebody, anybody in here. If one person can bring up your phone and show me that there is no games on it, I'll give you $20. I think I'm going to do that. Try it. Even if there's only one, it's worth 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Come to my next session. You can win $20. That'd be good. Yeah. I, I reckon you'd get people in just for that. That would be, I, I'm totally going to do that. That's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> it's not going to happen because nobody's going to, everybody's going to have at least one game on their phone. Yeah. Everyone does. Even if they've, even if it's something, because I know my phone, there's stuff in there that I probably haven't played in six months but it's still there just in case i get bored one day and i want to yeah just burn some time kind of thing yeah there's some there's some games that i have on my phone that you know essentially was like a year of my life putting into and i'll never delete it just because it held a certain piece of me for the longest of times you know and i was like 
oh, I just like seeing the app sitting yeah. there, you know, the icon being like, hey, remember me? We're still friends, aren't we, you know? <laughs> I reckon most people would be like that. There'd be at least, there'd be something, something in there. Right. Something. Even if it's not on their phone at the moment, in their the app history somewhere, there's there's games in there for sure. Yeah. So you went, did you go straight from rehab into OT school? So, yeah. Um, so I went to, um, so I went through my rehab. Um, it, you know, the, the funny thing about burns are that, you know, it's a long process of healing, you know, and on top of that healing, it's a lifelong um, struggle with burn contractures, possible reconstructions, mm. things like that. And so, I mean, I'm almost 20 years out from my burns and I just had a surgery about two years ago, you know, on my thumb where I had a, a oh, wow. release on my thumb here. Yep. And, uh, you know, so it's interesting because you sit there and think, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm recovered. Yep. Um, you know, but you, you know, you kind of revisit things your whole life, you know, and, uh, you know, the uh, burn is such a terrifying, um, you know, uh, thing that will completely, you know, and melts your body mm. it literally, you know, your skin drips off and, um, and you you have horrible scars. And so, you know, so it's interesting to kind of revisit those things, but, you know, um, but my initial recovery was probably about four or five months. I stayed in the army, um, as an enlisted man for another, uh, two years. And then the military had a program where they would send you through school. And so they sent me to OT school, um, still contract with the army. Um, but now I was a full-time student. Um, and so I had to go through ROTC and that whole kind of rigmarole. Yep. Um, and I went to university of central Arkansas, which is this kind of smaller school in the middle of America, you know, and, um, and then I graduated in 2005 and then, I got a commission in the army and the rest of my time in the army, I was an officer. Nice. So you actually work. So you, that's a bit different to how it works over here as far as I know. Cause I don't know if there's any OTs that are actually in the army. I think they're usually contracted. Yeah. I don't think there is. Yeah. Um, the U S is one of the only services that have OTs. I think the UK might have some, okay. um, but I, in the military, actually wearing the uniform, yeah, yeah. most, most everywhere around the world, it's contracted civilians that work with the service members. Yeah. Um, Cause I think like all the OTs I know that worked with defense were all like contracted in. Uh, my sister's in the army here and yeah. has had some dealings with, different the army health services and most of them are just most of them are you know doctors and nurses i don't think there's any right sort of other allied health that are actually in the army here that i know yeah, all anyway. the supporters yeah. yeah yeah that's interesting yeah i mean i when i deployed um you know they had like we worked with the czech military we worked with the british military um uh who uh, jordanians um you know, a bunch of different ones. And, you know, they had doctors and I want to say they had some nurses, mm -hmm. um, but that was it. You know, there, none of them would have anything more than that. Um, and matter of fact, when I was deployed, you know, I was the only army OT 
you know, out there. Mm. Um, I was by myself. Um, so it was definitely kind of a different um, uh, kind of view of how somebody could interact with troops. You know, people, you know, none of the combat um, leaders, you know, the brigade commanders, all that, nobody knew what an OT was, yep. you know. And so I would tell them why well, I run the, the TBI centers. And then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it, you know. So, you know, a big part of just being out there um, deployed as an OT was just education to commands on what OT was and what services we could bring you, you know. So um, it was interesting. So were you the only on the deployment or the only OT in the Army? Oh, no, just on the deployment Ah, um, at the time. Yeah, like, you know, know, a lot of people knew me as the Army OT guy for years. Now, I kind of... Yeah, I kind of had that um, that title for quite a bit. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to was to do was kind of dispel what it was that Army OTs did and did not do. So I think a lot of people thought, OK, if you're in the Army, you work with amputees and that's it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because that's what the pictures you see. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wanted to show like there's so much more depth to the military Matter of fact, there's only one Army OT that worked with amputees, you know, specifically assigned um, at a time out of the entire military, U.S. military. So it's such a small piece of the pie, but everybody did all kinds of other things. So, you know, when I, um, when I you know, early on, I was asked by the Surgeon General of the U.S., um, but the, the, the consultant for the Surgeon General asked me if I would go do this um, pilot program to set up a TBI center in Afghanistan. So it had never been done before. Um, it was the first time an OT would deploy with a brigade combat team, which was essentially, you know, your kind of infantry guys close to the ones that are doing the fighting. Yeah, yep. So it's the first time somebody would be that close to the fight um, in that capacity. Um, you know, so it was very intimidating. But I, you know, what I figured was, you know, I, I need to use this for a great educational tool for the rest of the world, you know, and so I developed because people would start recognizing me as, oh, you're that guy, you know, that army OT guy, you know, and so yeah. I was like, I'll take it, yeah. you know, and so I was army OT guy. And so for, you know, through the deployment, working with lots of schools and colleges and guest lecturing and doing all these different things with OT, um, I started to develop this really um, kind of cool, robust foundation of um, people very interested in the military and how they could help. Um, and just, um, you know, that kind of translated into this interesting social media presence. Um, that was the army OT guy, um, all to come crumbling down at one point, because, um, I guess at some point somebody got jealous of my, you know, popularity, if you will. Um, and it was an army OT, and he reported to the, um, so, you know, the, some high, big, you know, law thing in the military saying that this guy's, you know, been showing pictures of wounded service members and all these things that are doing. Meanwhile, it's all positive things. Yeah, he yeah. never said a negative, nobody would have ever heard a negative thing come out of my mouth. It was all great publicity yeah, yeah. for the military. Um, and, you know, on top of that, I, was very meticulous with um, getting letters of releases. Every single person I ever posted, I had a release to post it. Yep. Um, and so I had done all my homework on it. But 
uh, I got this call from my commander. It was like, hey, man, take down the site. Take down your Twitter. You're done <laughs> with Army OT guy. Wow. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, here's all this stuff. Here's all the documentation. And so I, I, I proved everything. And they said, you know what? You did do all your homework. You're fine. But you can't put that stuff back up. And it was crazy. I was like, this is literally free publicity for you. Like, yeah. you know, I was in recruiting for quite a bit, you know, and uh, do you hear my little baby crying in the background there? Okay. Uh, but, you know, in the, um, it was like free publicity and I just, you know, couldn't believe that they would want that. I was like, there's nothing negative. Like I could understand if I was like, crashing saying something like yeah. anti-president of the united states or yep. like the military sucks or something like that but i would never do that yeah it was all such positive stories and it brought a good positive light so it was weird but you know and so actually when i left the military um you know after 20 years i rebranded to ot unleashed because now i can be anything that i want to be yeah. i can show ot however i want yep. and nobody's gonna put that stamp on me anymore yeah yeah you are probably the i reckon probably the person that i have i guess through social media like followed along with your career for the longest without ever having actually spoken to you <laughs> it's crazy here and here we are talking yeah i know because i remember like the whole army ot guy and to me like that was like i was oh i was probably maybe three or four years out of uni when I, when I came across you online. Yeah. But that was my first, I guess, exposure to uh, any kind of OT in any kind of sort of defense setting. So, yeah. like, to me, that was eye-opening. Like, holy crap, like, we can... Like, it's not just hospital yeah. and community sort of rehab stuff that we can do. It's... Yeah. You know, there's all this other stuff. And to me, like back then, and it probably was, I don't know how you feel about it, but back then to me, I was like, man, this guy's doing some really innovative stuff and working in these like amazing places that there's very few yeah. people would have even, or I didn't anyway, didn't even know was a possibility at the time. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, that's actually a huge piece of the pie that I try to convey to people now is that, you know, OT if you really break it down, can, can really, you know, flow into any piece of life. And so now, you know, I mean, I work in a, well, I'm about to start to be a professor at a local university. Um, but, you know, I've been working in a rehab hospital for the last few years. Um, but, you know, I've done so much volunteer work as an occupational therapist in industry, which is also a place where you don't really see OTs, you know, it's not like, you know, you go like down to the, you know, Best Buy or, you know, local hardware store. And it's like, Hey, we're going to hire an OT yeah. to make sure that things are right. But why not? I mean, you could literally make, make your money doing ergonomics at a hardware store saying, you know what, you, you need to make sure you got this. You need to make sure you have that, you know, um, don't throw out your back proper mechanics i mean you could really do a whole yeah. bunch of stuff and and so i tell people all the time like non-traditional ot really isn't a thing i mean it's just if you decide that you're gonna go into it do it yeah. um you know like from my work with video games you know and a lot of people know this but 
um, one of the students that I kind of mentored through school now has it like literally signed a contract to work with Microsoft. I mean, there, she works on the Microsoft, you know, accessibility team and that had never been done before. Yeah, you know, amazing. nobody thought that this could be a thing, but w- yeah. why not? There's jobs at the Microsoft post all the time that are perfect for an OT. It's just, it's just an application, you know? And so, um, so it's really neat to see kind of this kind of shift in paradigm to thinking like I have to be in a, in a school setting or yeah. a sniff or something like that to like, I really can write my own book. And I, and I hope that through some of my work over the years, people have seen like, this is non-traditional and he continues to rewrite his story yeah. in a non-traditional way successfully. Yeah. I you think I, I wonder if a lot of uh, OTs kind of get stuck well, like when they're looking at jobs and what's available with jobs that only have like the OT label already on it. Like, oh, it yeah. doesn't actually say that it's for an OT, so I can't go for that kind of thing. As opposed to, here's a position, the position sounds interesting, and I think OT could offer something in this, whatever they want to call it. But just That's because it's not called OT, I think a lot of OTs sometimes, even because I know with our students here, whenever they're looking for jobs, they're always searching for OT. I'm like, well, you, you know you're not going to find anything you know, outside of the box there. Yeah. Well, you know, it'd be interesting is, um, you know, this could be a job all in itself is somewhat like an OT creating a database of potential OT jobs that would be like that. You know, I mean, I think you're totally right. Like, you know, um, you know, I'm sitting here uh, looking at all these different, you know, jobs out there. And, and I was like, oh, an OT could do that. OT could do that do that, do that, do that. I mean, you know, so many of these business degrees, you know, if you got a degree in business, you don't go find like, um, you know, OTR slash L for business. You know, you just like, let me see what is in any kind of big company around here and apply for it. It could be in anything, you know? And so it's like, well, I mean, we could really do that. Now I will say, if you did do something non-traditional you do have to keep that skill set mm. and you, I would, you know, encourage you to take a PRN job or home health or something so that you can, you know, uh, maintain your license and, yeah. and your skills and clinical kind of presence. But, you know, I mean, I think on the, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you've got something there and that would be really interesting to say, you know, kind of tired of looking for OT jobs check out some of these other positions that might actually be, you know, uh, mm. you might be, you know, a good fit for. And I think, I think a lot of OTs kind of view themselves like, or the view the course or the qualification as a qualification, as opposed to here's a really amazing versatile skill set, and you can apply that to right. anything. Whereas they're looking for something that'll, I guess that their qualification will, allow them to do as opposed to here's somewhere I can apply this skill set that I've just spent however many years at university, you know, getting. Yeah. I mean, what wouldn't it be interesting, you know, like I know I had a conversation with Amy Lamb, um, who she's our, uh, just, she's just exiting as president of the American occupational therapy association. Yep. Um, but I talked to her before she was president. Um, and I had, you know, you know, just conversation with her about what she thought about her future and what she wanted to do. And she had a lot of, I don't know if her thoughts have changed on, but like her, 
aspirations were president of AOTA and then to get into politics and do, you know, some other different political work, you know, um, and, you know, what would be, so I'm interested to see where her path takes her. Mm. Um, but it would be interesting. Like what if she became president of the United States and she was an occupational therapist, you know, like, or any president become an occupational yeah. therapist, you know I mean? I, you know, I know everybody's got their jokes with about Donald Trump, but think about it. He's not a politician. He's nobody that necessarily should be the president, but everybody or, you know, the majority seemed that he was fit enough to be that guy. Right. So they voted him in there, you yeah, know, yeah. so that could be, you know, some guy that, you know, picked up trash on the street. You know, that could be, you know, uh, some guy that was flipping burgers down the, down the road or an occupational therapist. And that's the I mean, thing. Like he's, he's just applying his, I guess it, it would be a business skill set, but he's applying his skill set to that role. And it would like, right. right. It would be interesting to see like what an OT skill set would look like applied to that role. That would be so interesting because think about it again. Like you're, you know, you have this history of caring for humans, you know, in a clinical setting or, um, mental health or anything like mm. you you have this formal education and care in in, in um, realizing occupational um, independence and whatnot and then you become the president um, that all of a sudden I mean like who better to be the president of the United States yeah. than an occupational therapist I mean they would be so inclusive there would be you know of course the therapy cap probably would be thrown out the window because <laughs> it'd so. be like direct direct <laughs> care we'd have all kinds of things happening you know but um, you know but sometimes it takes you know people in that office we have all of our you know um, hill days and um, we go to you know these um, our capitals and talk to our senators and everything for stuff like that all the time. Um, but it would be such an interesting place for uh, somebody to be in that kind of political seat. You know, um, people are always like, you should run for president. And I'm like, no, oh, man, I have too many skeletons in my closet for that. That's, <laughs> you know, The president doesn't get to play video games very often. So, you know, there's, there's a drawback for you. Maybe you know what, but if I'm sitting there instead of doing Twitter, maybe I'm just like doing words with friends. Who knows? That is you know? true. If so, you weren't doing Twitter, by the looks of it, you'd have a lot of spare time in that office. So you just get. I an, feel like get an it. Xbox I feel like installed it. in there. Be the first yeah. first Xbox inside the Oval Office. Be sweet. My gamer tag would be POTUS. Yeah. You know, President <laughs> of the United States. Yeah. They're like, oh, no big deal. I'm just playing with the president right now. I would just <laughs> randomly get on Xbox Live, you know, and just play random matches with people. You know, think of like, think of like just Obama getting amongst just the people. To... Yeah, that would be so public oh, relations. Man. Maybe I will run for president. Who knows? You could do all your all your all your diplomatic meetings could be done over like Xbox games. You'd have to like get all the other you know prime ministers and presidents of other countries <laughs> in there and. You can battle it out, oh, virtual reality. Oh, and... man. All right. Instead of doing rock, paper, scissors, let's just do a quick game That's of right. Halo. Yeah, yeah. And Best of three. Best off. of three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what they should do for Bex Brexit. You know, like, all right, look, if I win, we're out. If you win, we're, we'll stay. That you would know? probably be much more efficient than what they're doing at the moment. <laughs> probably, probably. Maybe I'll make, maybe, maybe I'll make all my decisions based on competition. You know, like, all right, look, 
I'm going to give 10 people a chance to beat me. If six of them beat me, then we're going <laughs> to, then, then I'll, then I'll go for the Democrats. If five of them be, or four of them beat me, then I'll do Republican, you know, that would... or like you go the, which way, like I'm a moderate, I'm independent. I'll do whatever video games allow me to. That would very much reshape your defense forces. It'd be just a whole bunch of like kids and middle-aged men who live in their basement. <laughs> you know, it'd be like video game industry just, you know, you know, had huge gains, uh, you know, after, you know, uh, president announces uh, decision-making via, yeah, you know, decision -making Call of Duty or Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you get it? So obviously I, I'm going to assume that you've always been into video games. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because this actually starts back when OT starts for me. Um, yep. Video. I mean, I've always been into video games, you know, as a kid growing up that Nintendo was everything to me. I mean, I didn't have one. I remember going over to play with my friends um, and thought it was so cool. Um, but where it really started um, as far as like kind of gaming in the therapy world or in the medical kind of mentality sense was it was in mental health, believe it or not. Um, we've talked about this before, but when I was recovering from my burns, um, the military placed me in um, a medic medical holding company. Um, that's what they called it at the time. They've changed the terminology to like warrior transition unit now. So you know, it cool. sounds better. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was really a medical holding company. So, um, but my roommate was a cancer, uh, he's a cancer survivor, but at the time he was going through chemotherapy, he was miserable. I was all burned up and miserable. And I remember playing final fantasy seven with him and it was so, I mean, it was everything. It was the only thing that we really enjoyed because we couldn't do a whole lot outside. Like my skin was so ultra sensitive to the mm. sun. He was so nauseous and sick all the time. So we would stay in our room and just heal together through gaming, you know? And, um, and I, I mean, it's so interesting to kind of look back at that and be like, wow, how awesome was that to be in that space, feeling that feel, you know? And um, so if you fast forward to me, you know, going through OT school, um, you know, the Nintendo Wii, I graduated in January 2005. The Nintendo Wii came out in 2006. And anybody in the OT world knows that the Wii pretty much set off what therapeutic gaming really is. It was probably the um, first of and, the physically interactive sort of consoles. Yeah, yeah, right. And I mean, I remember looking at it and uh, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is such a great OT tool. I could work on range of motion, balance, endurance. I could grade activities. I could bowl without having a bowling ball. I mean, I, I could do so many things that I'm limited to in the real world. Um, and I can uh, introduce this to patients as an incredible therapeutic modality. And so I started using the Wii right off the bat um, <clears throat> very early on. And so, you know, using that gaming in that sense very quickly. Matter of fact, um, I had been asked to go to the California OT Association Conference in 2007. And I had this thought that I would bring um, a Wii to the conference to show people how you could use it. And I had never seen this done before and it wasn't being done at all. But I remember going over to uh, a friend's house and grabbing an old big box TV 
and bringing it from her house and throwing it on a recruiting <laughs> table, plugging in the Wii, and people would come by and their minds were just so blown. Because, I mean, you think about all the old school mentality OTs who like video games are just child's play. And, you know, for them to see that the first time, like, whoa, this has a lot of potential. Mm. Like, oh, look at the movement here. Look, look what we're getting that we couldn't get before. Uh, and so that was the first time I ever saw. I mean, I don't necessarily know that I'm the first one that ever did it. But I know at the conference, it was the first time I've ever seen it done. And, you know, the next year at the next conferences, you started seeing people have their own Wii's and then raffling off Wii's and then Wii's everywhere. Um, and, um, and, you know, so it was really cool to see people adopt it so quickly. Um, so, you know, if you, so fast forward a little bit, I was going over to, you know, I was asked to go to Afghanistan and I knew that I was um, only going to have a small space. Like we worked out of tents and, you know, it wasn't like these robust rehab centers or anything. It's, I remember seeing photos that you posted. Yeah. Way back. Yeah. It was really cool. And yeah, it was really cool. And, and uh, in those center, in the center, I remember thinking, well, video with video games, I only need a small space. I really could do this in a corner of a room. Yeah. Um, and I built an entertainment center with plywood and two by fours. And I had a, Wii, I had an Xbox and I started using them for like, um, executive function issues, cognition, balance, vertigo. Um, we used it for all kinds of different stuff. Um, and I really learned, I mean, I had done a lot of research on what brain type games were out there. Matter of fact, I did this big list of things that I needed from the United States government and they sent me video games. I mean, I used the government for like, you know, <laughs> games and stuff. And, and they sent me all these, you know, obscure random games. And it was really awesome. And so I used all kinds of really cool stuff. And coming out of Afghanistan, uh, kind of having that really good feel about being able to use gaming effectively, um, I started, you know, again, I think I told, so I, I was in, um, I was uh, named as the chief of the, um, of the, amputee for ot at walter reed which is you know the mecca of amputee care and it's like two three hundred amputees there at a time and a lot of guys would come back lose limbs and they want to play video games and so you know i would try to do all kinds of things to help them i would make splints that would help hold controllers so they could play i would um you know find different controllers so they have different ways to play um, and then I actually had this chance meeting with um, an electrical engineer who was um, literally um, visiting a patient. And he said, well, why don't you just rewire that controller there? Um, then he could just play it one-handed. Like, you could just move the buttons. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that, man. I'm no <laughs> team. I'm not an electrical engineer. And so we became, we had started to have this relationship that was really profound. And, um, and he, I would start doing treatment sessions with him to do video games to help guys with no limbs play games. Um, and it was awesome. You know, yeah, it was really incredible. cool. And so that translated to, um, um, warfighter engage, which I'm the chief medical officer now. And that's a whole nother story. Yeah. I think when, um, I was working, it would have been 2009. I was working on the gold coast in a mental health, inpatient rehab team so we would do a lot like it was a team it was probably the biggest ot team i've ever been involved in there was it's a ward of 40 people and we had oh my god six ot's 
to service Jeez. that ward. So we were a lot we, of OTs. Uh, and we were at the time we must have had a good government in because we were resource flush. Uh so we were able to do a lot of really cool stuff and try things uh, for the guys on the ward. And the Wii was one of the things. And it, it very well could have been because of something that I saw you post that I actually got the idea. But I went to the boss and said, like, I want a Wii. Like, I, I want to try it. I want to see how yeah. it goes for mental health. And what we found was, so we had where the ward was down the other end of the hallway, we had a completely separate, massive like essentially activity space and all of our offices. So we would set it up there, you know, a couple times a week for, I guess, kind of group sessions. And what we found was that we were getting a lot of the guys that previously, and they were like all ages, like it wasn't who you would expect to see coming in to play games. It wasn't like yeah. the teenagers and the young adults. Like, yeah, I still yeah. remember um, this guy, who I had been trying to work with and he was just shut down. Like he just didn't want to talk to anyone, wasn't interested. He was like 70 and he came in and I still remember him playing Wii Bowling and the first the first time I ever saw him smile was like he bowled a strike or something and like jumped and like cheered. And after, That's that, crazy. after that, he was hooked. That's like awful. that was it. He was completely engaged with us. There was... Uh, he would, you know, I could have proper, you know, conversations about his, his dreams and what he wanted to do and what his plans were and how could we support him to do that. But it was because of the we, and it wasn't necessarily, so I wasn't looking at it obviously in terms of, you know, range of motion and strength and coordination and that kind of stuff. I was looking for it more as, as an engagement tool. And I think it was a break almost because I'm a firm believer that health systems themselves can cause a lot of trauma. And I, I think just that really sterile clinical hospital environment yeah. where, you know, people get unwell, they go into hospital, they're already out of their normal routines. They already can't do some of their occupations just because of where they are. And yeah. then the environment itself is so sterile and so clinical and so bland. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. are just... Not usually the most pleasant. And times have changed now. A lot of them are very different now. But back then, they weren't very pleasant places. So I think it was just that, almost that link with normality that we were able to provide. And that wasn't the only thing we used to do. We used to do, you know, you name it, all the stereotypical arts and crafts and all that sort of stuff. But that was always one of the most popular uh, programs that we ran. And it was, I think it really was just that link with... Like, oh my God, like there's something in this hospital that's not from the 19th century. Right. And yeah, the the number of clients that we were able to engage purely and simply because of that consult, the people that would just wander down from the ward because they heard people having fun and cheering and, you know, having a good time and that kind of thing. And the other thing that we, the other benefit that we saw was these guys would make friends with each other. So there was a lot of those guys that, you know, we used to see quite regularly because they would there was nothing being or not nothing but there wasn't a lot being done to change the environment outside when they went home so they'd come into hospital quite unwell they would get well and then go home and then the cycle would repeat and they'd end up back in the hospital you know a few weeks later or something and we found that building that that social network that previously wasn't there even though you know it might have been someone that they would not normally associate with but just through engaging in that activity 
they were able to build a social network and we stopped seeing these people come in so regularly. They were able to, a lot of them did connect with each other outside of the hospital and support yeah. each other before they ended up in hospital. Yeah. Um, and I, I, know, I know of a couple of people that went and bought consoles so that they could yeah. play at home because yeah. they just fell in love with it. Yeah. I mean, I have, you know, similar, you know, similar stories with, you know, people like that where it just, I mean, this one lady, I remember one of the most, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, pivotal moments in my gaming um, experience was when I had this older lady, probably like, you know, 65, something like that, who she was an avid bowler, her and her husband but she was in the clinic for lateral epicondylitis because she bowled, you know, I mean, she couldn't hold the ball, yep. you know, you know, tennis elbow. Um, and, you know, I did all the typical things she would do as an OT, you know, for tennis elbow, you know, your cross friction massage, your ice massage, your iontophoresis, your forearm strap, all those things. Right. Um, and, uh, but I also made her a custom splint for bowling. And then I introduced her to the Wii and she said, I'm not really a video game person. And I was like, I get it, but why don't we just try some of this? And I mean, literally we did that and she went out and bought one for her and her husband, you know, and she would say, man, we just love it. You know, like in, 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 in my mind, that's a like age in place type thing. Like where she can go home and be at home and enjoy life differently and more robust than she did prior to that you know and it's a it's this window that she didn't have before but um but you know what's funny is like i talked to um i do a lot of consulting with um developers now in the gaming industry and one of the things i say all the time is that because of the potential like the need for that psychosocial engagement but because of the need for um, us to be able to interact and succeed together, they need to make sure that those games are catering towards that. And, a, and an example I use um, often is that, um, so most people are familiar with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Um, there's four of them, right? Now there's like five or six, some, yeah. some girls and stuff, but, but everybody knows the big four, right? Yep. And I remember being so excited to get, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for my kids and me to play together. It was on Xbox One, and all four of us were going to be able to play with the turtle, you know. And so I get it home, and I get, you know, actually, I don't know if I, I didn't even open the package yet. I was like, you know what? I better just check to see if, you know, what what's going on with this game first. And I come to find out you can only play one turtle um on your console like you can play online yeah with against, other people yeah. and have the four turtles um i could play with my kids if i had four xboxes and yeah. four different games you know so all four of us could play but i was like that is a mistake yeah like i'm trying to sit down and have family time yeah i'm trying to sit down and do couch and so i always talk about couch co-ops are so important like one of the Halo game, Halo was always like great for like having Halo parties. You have your friends come over, you all play Halo together, you know, but um, Halo started to not do split screen. And so then you would only be able to play one Halo. And I get it. You're trying to make money. You could sell four games as compared to one game, you know. And so, um, you know, so, you know, come to find out um, 
And so, so all this time now, every time I talk to developers, I'm like, I need a couch co-op mm. in this game. You need to make that because it's a huge mental health piece that you're going to miss. Um, one, like if you want friends to be together at home or, or your family, um, or, you know, like, I mean, I'm fine with online play. I think it's fantastic. You and I, after this conversation, can get on Xbox and play a game together, mm. you know, and we're halfway across the world, yeah. um, you know, which is a huge part of it. And, you know, when we're talking veteran mental health, it's everything. I mean, I love to play games with my guys that I deployed with, you yep. know, like one of my really, really close friends, we spent so much time in Afghanistan playing games like, um, um, uh, army of two, um, and Red Dead Redemption and all these things together. And even now, you know, we, you know, we're always, we're talking, you know, we talk about those times being able to bond over gaming. Um, and, you know, we have such a huge mental health crisis in the military. And I tell people, it's not about a global solution. Like the army tries to put all these things in place and it has nothing to do with these programs. What it has to do is like you and me getting on the phone together saying like, Hey man, I care about you. You know, so one of the things that I've tried to do more is when I'm in the car, I got 30 minutes, 45 minutes, I call up one of my friends. Like, I don't know. We haven't talked in forever. Let's just chat for like 20 minutes. Yep. You know what? I love you, dude. I care about you. If there's anything I could ever do for you, you got to let me know and I'll make it happen. Yep. You know, like that saves lives. Yeah. You know, and that's any, that's any global life. solution starts with a local implementation. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it might not seem like a big deal, but if everyone's doing it, it adds up. And it's little things like that that, that can make the big difference. And I, I do agree, like, with regards to the, the online play, there's something still that you are missing that you you get when you're playing, you know, with a bunch of people in a room. There's, there's yes, you can still talk to each other, especially nowadays with games, you, you know, everyone's wearing a headset. You can talk to each other very easily. You can't see each other. Sure. And I think right, that right. there's, you know, partly that sort of, uh, I don't know, camaraderie or, you know, there's a lot of banter yeah. that generally happens yeah. in a room that, you know, you can you, you don't get the same effect, you know, uh, online. It's like, right. like, to, like for us, for example, with this, when you asked me whether we we're going to record video, I'm like, I'm going to put the video on just so we can see each other while we converse because there's, oh, a, it's, it's, there's it's another awesome. element yeah. to it than just talking so like right now obviously everyone else can't see this but right now we can see each other while we're talking and yeah. the audio is what's getting recorded but it just adds that element having a conversation without i guess you want to expand you want to have those conversations the best that you're able to at the time and if we've got the opportunity to you know see each other while we talk that's going to be better yeah. and a better conversation and you know you you're, you get that element of body language and you get that element of um, yeah. I, I guess a stronger connection when you can actually see someone as opposed to when you're just yeah. talking. But if all you've yeah. got I, is the I talking, so. then, you know, do that still. It's still going to have a benefit. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'm glad that you said, like, let's uh, keep filming because I think you're right. I mean, but, I mean, anybody that has gone through OT school knows, you know, you pop on a body language is what, 80% or something like that. Yeah, how much know? has that so, been drilled into it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's crazy. So, I mean, you know, it's funny, um, you know, but I do, I don't want, I, you know, um, you know, but I will say the online aspect of gaming is a huge piece too. Like, you know, I tell people like my dad and I, I love playing games with my dad on my phone, um, you know, because I mean, let's say 
for the first 40 years of my life, I maybe played five games of chess with my dad, you know, because it's physical board. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, since online gaming, I probably played 80 in the last five years yep. with him, you know, like, you know, we can play all the time, you know, yep. which is kind of really nice to have this constant, you know, games back and forth, you know, it's um, interacting, you know, and then, um, and there's, you know, pieces of games that will bring you back. Um, to those moments that were successful and, and interesting. Um, and, uh, and so my son, he's, uh, you know, um, he's always, always been a little bit socially kind of withdrawn, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, he has his friends that are very close to him and that's it. Right. Yep. And, uh, but he's not somebody that's going to go out and be like, what up everybody? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. he's not me. Not like he's dead. <laughs> no. He's not like his dad. Right. So, um, but he um, he was playing Sea of Thieves on the Xbox One with some of his friends. And he comes up to me. He's like, Dad, it's just so cool to be able to be online with my friends and, and play this game together. And they're little pirates on the ship with me. And we're doing things together and, and achieving things. You know, it's just so cool. Like, we don't even we our ship could sink and we don't even care. We just want to hang out. And I was like, yes, <laughs> that's exactly the point. Yeah, that's yeah. why we game. That's why we do these things. You know, it's not, it's, um, you know, gaming um, streams, you know, people that stream gaming all the time. It's not, you know, you know, people think it's so weird that people watch people play video games online mm. all the time, but really it's just everybody interacting. It's not just watching them you can communicate with them i mean whether or not they communicate back that's different but yeah, yeah. you know if you wanted to go on and watch you know ninja or pewdiepie or whoever and you know you want to like interact with them boom hey man nice shot yep you know or something like that i mean you can um so um so it's really interesting because i think that um when people think so it's such negative thoughts about gaming that they're completely missing that piece the one, no. th one thing I've seen, so my wife is a head of a special education unit at a, a really big high school here. And one of the things, so she, work, she works with a lot of kids who've got autism. And one of the things that I've seen recently through some of her education literature has been around social media and the communication aspect of gaming for, or and its use with kids with autism. And mainly due to, so like we were talking about, we get a lot out of the body language but for those kids, sometimes the body language bit can be really frustrating and confusing because it's hard to process while sure. they're communicating. So we, they take that out of the equation and they're able to communicate a lot better. Oh, that's interesting. That is so interesting. So in that instance, it's or for the, the kids in some of the research that she was showing me, it was they were communicating better and, and obviously then still getting the other benefits that come along with gaming and social media connection and that kind of thing. So it was actually working well, in their favor. What's cool is like, you know, we talk about grading the activity all the time in the OT world. And like that would be a way of grading a socialized mm. human, you know, like, hey, I'll tell you what, you're not great with social cues and all that. Like, well, let's start here with just verbal communication. When you're comfortable there, then we're going to start upping the game, you yeah. know. And so that's a really interesting um piece that you mentioned that's that's a that's a good i like that i really like that i think that's it's 
or I, I don't know how sort of, you know, before this sort of internet, social media, gaming revolution, how well we had the capacity to grade some of that social interaction stuff because, you know, back in the day, it would have been you talk to each other or you talk on the phone and that was it. Like that was your only two options or you write a letter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas now I think with technology, we've got a lot more options. So we can talk with just audio. We can type. We can talk with video online. We can still, you know, converse in a room. We've got a lot more options that we can utilize to grade that engagement in you know, a social interaction. And I think that's something that I haven't seen a lot. Of, I'm sure it's out there, but I haven't seen a lot of research into people actually looking into that specifically. Um, not in the sort of the occupational science literature anyway, which is, I would assume, where it would probably be. But I yeah. think that's like, we talk about, you know, evidence-based practice and that one of the things that we need to take into account is our resources. And I think yeah. with a lot of this modern technology, we're not necessarily, well, we are, people are changing what they do, but it's improving our, the number of resources we have and our access to them as well. Yeah. which again yeah. changes the game yeah well you know and, and technology is only going to continue to go in that direction um you know one thing that i get from a lot of more traditional ot's you know i, I said earlier about gaming was you know it's a joke yada 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 um but you would be naive to not be starting to use this stuff um because what's going to happen is this so like um, so you worked at a, um, inpatient rehab mental health facility. Yep. Um, and you've probably had anything from adolescents to geriatric patients probably, right? Yep. Correct. If you have a conversation with a geriatric patient, one of the first things that you talk to them about is, and you, know, you know, one of the things we always talked about our patients in our initial interview is what do you like to do for fun? What are your hobbies, your mm. leisure interests? What do you do during the day? And what do they always say? I like to watch TV. Yeah. I like to read the newspaper. Like Gardening. old people say that <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, all the time, you know. And so, you know, but if you think about it, um, you and me, when we are in our 70s and 80s and our whole generation, people are going to say, what do you like to do for fun? You know what? When we retire, we're going to play video games. We're going to be gamers. Mm. Like I'm not going to stop gaming. You know, because I want to challenge myself. I want to continue to immerse myself in a world that is um, beyond my physical limitations. Mm. And that is a, uh, in gaming is a big piece of that, you know? So um, I, I try to get OTs to understand that if you're not adopting this now, your geriatric population is not going to say, I want to do, you know, I want to watch TV and read a newspaper. They're going to say, Hey, can you help me play video games? I'm going to be a, an 80 year old gamer and somebody better put a stupid <laughs> controller in my hand. You know what I'm saying? In there by then you'll be like controlling it with your mind or something. Probably. Yeah. It'll be like, you know, ready player one type stuff. <laughs> but, yeah. but no, I and mean, that's, that's true. Like the, I, I've spoken with a lot of OTs who are even scared of, even now, surprisingly, like social media and working with the their clients around like safe use because there's a lot of kids that just use it, but they're not really sure on, yeah. you know, we used to get, how often do we hear like stranger danger and all that sort of stuff when we were kids, but 
there's there's safe use and like cyberbullying is a thing now and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Trolling. It's and, evolving, yeah. and OTs need to stay up with you know all these new occupations that didn't exist when we trained or when we were kids or when we were growing up. Like they, they, it's a it's a completely different world, and if we're not keeping up with it, then even even just from a knowledge point of view on that, you know that these things exist. Like if we're not right. keeping up with, you know, what kids are doing because then kids become adults and adults become older adults and older adults become geriatrics. If we're not keeping up with what the kids are doing now, then we're putting ourselves behind the eight ball right from the start for the next 50 years kind of thing. Right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, you know, like you and I, like we should we should right now make a pact that in 30 years we're going to do another podcast together no matter what <laughs> and we're going to we're going to watch this podcast first or listen to it first and then we're going to talk about see where we that were we called right. it. Yeah. we called it you know <laughs> but i'm going to be 72 i don't know how old you are how old are you 30 years i'm going to be 64 perfect yeah 64 i'll be 72 and both of us are going to just laugh about this. And, and you're going to be like, so what do you, what are your leisure interests, Eric? Yeah, I'm yeah. going to say, I play video games, man. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm retired yeah. and I play video games. And that's it. That's, that's, that's amazing. And that's what it's going to be like. But even between now and then, there's going to be something else that we'll yeah. need to keep on top of. So if we're not keeping on top of, of like, video games have been around for how long? Like they've been around for oh, a yeah. long. This, this, yeah. our generation, the next generation after us grew up with it. Yeah. I was having this conversation with someone the other day, like the generation. So I, I work at a university now, so I teach. Um, uh, the students that I'm teaching now don't know a world without the internet. Oh, like they don't, they don't. They don't remember it. They they weren't there. They don't understand that when I was at uni, I didn't bring a computer to class. I brought a notebook and I had to print out the lecture notes before I went. Like. Yeah. They don't understand, yeah. and some of them still do that, but it's more their personal preference, whereas I didn't have a choice. Like, I wasn't going to yeah. lug my big desktop from my college room down to the lecture theater. Like, I don't, and now the first thing they all do is they get into class, everyone opens up a laptop. It's a different world. So if I was doing, or as an OT, looking at, you know, even just a student back when I was there compared to now, how they perform those roles, how they perform the occupations involved with that are, are completely different. And it's been, yeah. how long have I been out? Uh, it's been like 10 or 11 years. So in 11 yeah. years, the role is completely different. That's crazy. Yeah. That's interesting because that, that's me, man. I'm the, I'm the same way. It's, it's, you know, 2005 was when I graduated. So the two th 2000 to 2005 is when I went to school. Yep. And yeah, I mean, you know, you had to go use the computer lab. Um, you had to pay the, you know, the, the university to print out pages to turn in your, if you know, the printer lectures. Worked that day. If the printer worked, <laughs> um, you know, like, I, I mean, this is going to be, okay. So I'm starting at, University of Mary Harden Baylor in about two weeks. Yep. And it'll be my first trip into academia. And it's going to be so mind boggling because I don't know what that looks like. You're right. 
like they're not going to know these things mm-hmm. i mean they're not going to know what it's like like hey man make sure you make two copies of that yeah just in case <laughs> you know now it's all up on the cloud they don't need to <laughs> it's all on the cloud like oh just put it into google docs i'll, I'll grade it later you know, so um, have you ever watched that show Black Mirror? I haven't, but I've heard that I should. Apparently, it's really freaky and it's really pretty fantastic. Yeah. So, but there's a couple technology episodes that are just so. I mean, you know, how I always explain Black Mirror is that it's a it's a plausible future. Yep. Um, meaning that this very well could happen in our lifetime um, or whatever. And there's a couple of them with technology, and one of them. Actually, everybody has an implant when they're born that records every single thing, every and, and you can like if you and I have the conversation right now, um, you know, and later on I wanted to show somebody this conversation. I just you know I have a remote that goes to my chip and I just project it up on the wall like oh check out this conversation. It's the exact kind of, yep. it's what my eyes see. Yep. You know, and you can delete some of it. Um, but you know, like if you cheated on your wife and your wife suspected something and she's like, Hey, uh, show me that time between now and now. And yeah, you're like, yeah. Oh, uh, delete it. <laughs> then, you know, there's something wrong yeah, going yeah, on yeah. there, you know, but, but it was, it's really interesting, but I mean, it's like so curious to me that that could be potentially you know and of course well you know i won't spoil the episode but you should watch that because it's such an interesting plausible future you know and like if you're like you know what maybe maybe i just took that the wrong way let me rewind it and relook at how that person said that to me let me look at the body uh, you know mechanics and see um what their body language looked like okay well maybe i just you know overthought that maybe that's not what she said or like i wife i told you we had this conversation she said no I'm like oh yeah boom that's where you said it remember that i'm actually thinking that might be a good thing now because i get that all the time <laughs> me too i I'm told you this no, my you wife, didn't. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> on your on the project on the warfighter engage website there is a, a page of your projects and it's just yeah. like photos of all the different uh like adaptive controllers and obviously i know that yeah. you're you're closely tied with xbox but there's also playstation ones in here as well i did notice so yeah. you, you don't play favoritism to console no no well and that's how it kind of all started you know i kind of earlier told the story about having this initial contact with ken jones who is the founder of warfighter engaged and yep. you know we didn't care if you wanted to be an xbox gamer playstation gamer nintendo i mean we have um adapt adaptations for the super nintendo you know like it was all about who that person was and what they wanted to be able to do um and so so how it actually all came to be was you know we would uh tear up the you know controller rewire it or we make an entire rig out and i say we ken does all this work he's the engineer but we we would um build these rigs where um, they would have, you know, large arcade style buttons or yeah. joysticks or whatever um, for big, more gross motor type things. Um, and, you know, at some point in time, Microsoft, one of the engineers out there took notice of some of the work that um, Ken had been doing and um, engaged with us and said, hey, you know, we'd like to invite you out and have a discussion about accessibility 
and, you know, um, these different types of things as it relates to gaming. Um, so uh, Ken went out, then I went out, uh, we both went out, um, started to talk to their developers. So I, that was one of those times where I mentioned the, the Ninja Turtles and said, make me co-op, yeah, yeah. couch co-op games. Um, but also, you know, talking about different ways to make things accessible. And in some of those conversations, they had talked about doing these <clears throat> you know, almost like a, a hub where you would plug different, you know, switches in instead of having to break down a controller every time, rebuild a controller into what it was, yep. you would almost have it already done. Yeah. And that conversation um, turned into what was the new Xbox adaptive controller, which is what everybody has seen and what we've talked yeah. about over the last, you know, couple of years. And so it's, uh, um, you know, essentially acts um, as, uh, you know, the first five steps of what we did prior. And now, you know, just making buttons and switches is everything that we need, you know? So uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Cause I was having a look at it and it kind of, it does remind me of an old super NES controller, just the big white yeah. the big buttons and everything. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. And a lot of people will, you know, they'll say, Oh my gosh, like it's just like a, you know, big Nintendo controller, which, you know, if you looked at the controller itself, um, you know, that's what you see is those two big black buttons. Mm. Um, and then you see the uh, D-pad. And really, um, it's the, the controller itself is designed to be able to get you to, through the main menu yep. um, and to, to, to go through the Xbox app. Um, but um, the magic of it is on the edges are all these different inputs. So there's 19 ports on the back mm. of the Xbox adaptive controller where you basically can plug in whatever button, switch, trigger, toggle, you know, stip and puff control, you know, whatever you need, uh, whatever you need to make things, you know, happen. Um, and, and then you have two USB ports for joysticks and whatnot also on the sides. And so the magic is, um, is figuring out what your client needs and being able to use it from there. I mean, that's what most people don't see. You see the commercials and everything and they're all, fantastic yeah, yeah. Um, but you don't really know how it works um, and and all the switches are just basically your uh, switches that are you know um, like your headphone jacks your 3.5 millimeter okay. yeah, yeah. headphone jack that's the size of it so um, you, there's a lot of stuff already out there that already works I mean if you had an old rock band drum kit yeah like yeah. the drum kit foot pedal actually um, will plug into one and work just fine you know it can be a switch if you had somebody that needed that so there's all kinds of stuff you can put it. like the like it's designed so you can use like third-party switches and that kind yeah. of stuff matter of fact it's all third-party um xbox they don't create their own switches yep. they created the controller and so one th so with warfighter engaged and one thing that we should definitely note is that we make switches for i mean anybody in the world can buy these switches yep. if um if you um are a, a disabled gamer or you want to get something for somebody that you know, um, you know, you can go to the website, you can look at what type of buttons and switches you need. Um, and, and you order them from us and we'll make them for you and send them to you. Um, matter of fact, um, if you play your cards, right, just shoot us an email of, Hey, I don't know what exactly I need to get. And then we can have a conversation. Um, like, well, what kind of things, what kind of use do you have? You know, yeah. do you have, um, head control or, do you have use of your hands at all? Do you have use of your feet? You know, and so then we can give you a better idea of what you can use. 
Yeah, because I see like some of the the switches, uh, the controls that you've you've made up and you've got on their website, like look nothing like the original sort of Xbox control. Like they are almost well, I would assume they're like hundred percent custom to who, yeah. whoever was that it was designed. Yeah, for. They're, they're and it really has amazing. you know it really it really has to be because you know you and I could have a conversation about somebody who's quadriplegic. And I say, he needs all these things. And then we have another conversation about another person that's quadriplegic and he needs something completely different. You know, mm. it, it's like a snowflake. I mean, everybody, every injury is a snowflake. Everybody's potential use of their limbs are, you know, like a snowflake. I mean, so I just, you know, for me, one of the hardest parts is just figuring out what is it that, can, that I can adopt from your use that we can use to play games. You know, and so, and that's, so that's a big kind of piece of the pie. Like the, there's one here that I'm looking at, it's a project four and it's got controllers for the knee, like paddles on the, for the knees. It's got what looks like a joystick yeah. to control with the mouth. It's got large yeah. buttons. It's got a little joystick like it. And it's all sort of built into a little table like that's. Yeah. And if you look at that, I could, you wouldn't be able to tell like what that's useful. Like it looks like mission control kind of thing. It looks like you're about to launch a spaceship. Or <laughs> yeah. Something. Yeah. Just you know, and amazing. It, it takes a little getting used to. I mean, like, you know, we're all, you know, used to using the trigger fingers and the mm. thumbs to play games. Um, you know, so when people have to start playing games a bit differently, um, you know, it's not going to be like, Oh, this is perfect from right off the bat. You know, it will be, you're going to struggle and then you're going to get better and then you might be good, you know? Um, you know, yeah. so it's, it's about understanding your control and how it works for you. Um, I'm working with a kid right now who had a brain injury about, you know, uh, seven, eight years ago. Um, and it's challenging. He wants to play Halo. And uh, the, the one thing about um, playing one of those games that are like first party, third party shooters is that it's the hardest game that you're going to play because you need so many things. Mm. You need to like throw grenades you need to be able to melee you need to be able to you know change weapons you need to be able to shoot jump move both thumbs because you need to look left look right move left move right strafe to the side you know i mean you might have you like need to be able to do it Xbox fast. controller has 22 different controls on it yeah well. you know so <clears throat> if i'm thinking about setting something up for a person who wants to do all those things i have to adopt any possible thing that I can and then cheat a little bit um, on some other things. So for him, um, you know, uh, he, his right hand works. Okay. Um, left hand, not so much. He's got a little bit of pinch. Um, I'm using his feet um, and, uh, and I'm using his knee for switches. Kind of like you saw there, Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so like, and, and, and I would use a knee for something where it's like, I need to change my weapon. Yeah. So I don't need to use the knee all the time but just to click over to the right change my weapon out yep. and that's just one one thing you know every few minutes instead of like a trigger the yeah, trigger yeah. i'm going to need like maybe my, my foot is able to tap faster or maybe i can just put a button and just jam it with my my hand yep you know um so you know a trigger is a little bit different you know so there's all kinds of things and it's with and sometimes it's really tough i mean sometimes it's not going to be what it, what it is, you know, or what you want it to be. Um, and actually what's really cool is Xbox came out with a thing called Copilot. 
And Copilot essentially lets you lets two people have the have control of the same guy at the same time. So if I was playing Halo, um, and I um, I could basically make two controllers for one person. Um, and so if I had a patient or my son or somebody who couldn't game traditionally, I could say all I want you to do is jump. Yep. One command, one thing. I'm going to control the rest of the stuff. Yep, yep. And it's and it's seamless. It's not like you have to, you know, you know, uh, do all this configuration or anything. It's just like turn on Copilot. Both of the controls work. And so I just literally have him pounding a button to jump when I need to jump. Or maybe he can do everything besides look left and look right. So all I'm going to do is look, you know, look around while I'm going to aim for you. You shoot, you jump, you move. Yep. You're going to do everything besides me looking. Yeah, you know, so I, I did see that on the website. It's pretty cool. So with your setups, are they wired up through, I guess, the internals of a, a normal controller? So you could set up like one of your modified uh, control setups with the desk and everything connected to another yeah. controller as well. Like you could use that functionality or. Um, you know, that's a good question. You know what? I think so. Because essentially we're tapping into like it, the Xbox just reads it as an Xbox controller. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we're basically using the guts of a traditional controller for it. Yep. Um, and with the Xbox adaptive controller, it just sees it as a, another controller also. So every button that's, you know, out in the universe yep. is just really right here. According to the machine. Yep. It's just, you're using them differently. Yeah. No, that's so. really cool. Yeah. And it's all blue. It's, it's, it's Bluetooth and infrared and all that stuff. Like, you know, any other controller. Not like so. back in the day we used to have cords running all over the lounge room and, <laughs> If you wanted to yeah. annoy someone, you just rip out their cord. <laughs> uh, uh, trip over the cord, rip the console out of the wall. Yeah. You know, <laughs> back in the good old days. <laughs> yeah. So, have you, do you know of any? So that's that's obviously Xbox is doing a ton of work, and they're working with you guys, um, which is amazing and super unique for the profession, as well as super exciting for yourself personally. I can imagine. Do you know of yeah. any, like if Sony or if Nintendo or anyone else is looking at similar adaptive controllers or that kind of stuff? Uh, well, I, so uh, the, basically the head of gaming at Xbox, um, his name is Phil Spencer. Um, he did a, during one of the press conferences when we were releasing the Xbox adaptive controller, he said he would love to work with Sony to share the controller to be able to make it compatible um that it's not about you know us being competitive it's about people gaming mm. and xbox has this mission and the microsoft has this mission to make gaming fun for everyone and so however that means um is however we need to do it um and so um we th so every year now we um there's a conference called the um game accessibility conference the ga conf um and we've done one now in europe we've done a couple in the u.s um and that the ga conference it's all these developers from um people that work with sony xbox um maybe even nintendo um but um you know you got blizzard activision um ubisoft all these people yep, all that the are developers. in these game industry coming together to make sure that as they're developing games or they're considering all these factors. And so 
um, to answer your question, yes. I mean, um, I think that, I mean, I've even, I, I, I've been connected with people at Sony with the Uncharted series talking about, you know, um, inclusive design and um, not necessarily the hardware part, but some of the software. So it's only a matter of time. I mean, there's going to be a lot of uh, pressure mm. to make things accessible um, across the industry, you know, because it's the right thing to do. Even market, know, even market pressure. What's that? Even just market pressure. Like the fact that Xbox has this available anyone who needs any kind of adaptive like they're gonna buy an xbox if it was a choice between an xbox yeah. and playstation well xbox has this availability like you're gonna buy an xbox yeah that commercial ran during the game um during the super yeah. bowl you know and of course I, the super I saw bowl, that here. yeah the super bowl is you know it was five million dollars for a commercial yeah and so you know you think about every parent out there with a kid with disabilities i mean almost everybody watches the super bowl and most of them watch it for the commercials you know yeah. and so you know they're seeing this commercial and saying my kid never was able to play video games ever which system do you think i'm gonna buy yeah for sure duh you know be so you know so it's interesting because i think you know at the end of the day it's an uh, it's a way that xbox well, here's the thing. Microsoft, they knew that this wasn't going to be a huge moneymaker. They're catering to 1%. Yeah. They knew that that was going to be the case. But what they're making up in um, you know, humanitarian good mm. um, is, going, is, is everything. You know? And they're going to be the ones that pioneered all this. They're going to be the ones that started the ball on all this. Um, and so you know, I have no doubt that there will be a PlayStation. I mean, think about the Wii came out using motion mm. and then Xbox came out with the Xbox connect yeah, using yeah. motion. And then PlayStation came out with a PlayStation move using motion. So, you know, we'd be naive to think that there's not going to be this trend toward more accessibility and more accessible options, you know? So, you know, I, I think that, you know, again, I think you, you know, hit the nail on the head that, you know, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to happen. You know, the question is, like, when do you want it to happen? What do you see next? Obviously, there's a lot of lot of press and stuff at the moment that is looking at, uh, I guess, the future of virtual reality, maybe, and, and how that's going to, you know, revolutionize gaming and even communication and all that sort of stuff. Do you see any barriers already that might need to be overcome with regards to how that, like, cause I know a lot of it's like through a headset and it's still usually with a console or with a gaming con uh, controller. Do you see any barriers yeah. with that going forward that you might be able to go, Hey, I can, I can help with that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I've had a lot of conversations with people that work in VR. I teamed up with people that are developers for VR. Um, I think that VR is tough. Um, and let me tell you why. And I think one of the biggest, the biggest problems with VR is one, um, uh, replayability. Yep. Uh, replayability is tough because replayability, um, essentially is going to give us, um, the desire to come back to it. So for example, um, there's a really cool VR headset that came out just for star Wars and you can, 
and you think about how cool that is because you can have a lightsaber duel with Darth Vader and you can literally be fighting him and it's so cool so you are a star wars fan i can see the tattoo on your wrist yeah i know but with that right so but i'm the biggest star wars nerd in the world you know and i played that star wars vr probably for a good hour but honestly if i never played it again i'd be okay you know yeah because well one um you know you start seeing patterns um you start seeing kind of the same thing over and over again uh, you know, there's only so many lightsaber duels and battles that you can do that then you're just like, okay, all right, well, this got boring. Now, you know, give me something else, give me a story, yeah. you know, until they are able to put like very rich. I mean, think about if you could do a VR with The Legend of Zelda with an open world feel and like you literally had to interact with your environment and and you know you had to be able to go to these different places and it would wouldn't be just like right there in front of you it'd be like hey i see off in the distance like way 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 far away and it's going to take me an hour to get to this place that i have to get to um like until they have these robust you know adventure modes on vr i don't know that it's going to be this huge thing because it that's that's when it's going to be ready player one it's gonna be like hey you can get into this world interact with people virtually Mm. and you're gonna have memories with them to be able to come back to you know um you know but the headsets are a little heavy i mean i get headaches because the pressure it puts on my neck muscles you know um and uh you know you can go to these vr centers where it's a little bit more interesting and robust and more cool and everything, but you pay 50 bucks to go. And then you have this experience and everything. And there's this incredible Vader immortal new like VR experience that you can have. But you, again, it's like $50 to go and you get, you go through this whole story, you know, but again, how many, I mean, I'm going to go through the story one time over the next yeah, yeah. hour 45 minutes but then the story's over yeah you know it's like watching a movie again i've already watched that movie you know you know you could love a movie and watch it several times but um it's not like i'm gonna sit there and be you know just uh go to it like every day whereas Fortnite, everybody wants to play it all the time or call of duty let's come back to it let's come back to it like that's what makes games and so the future, I think, will be better. I think VR is going to be better. I think it's going to be cheaper. Um, I think it's going to be something. I mean, you see, you know, phones that can, you know, lock into your headsets, you know, uh, or into VR headsets, mm. you know. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that kind of come from that, um, you know. So, um, you know, and, and you know what? I'm going to be real honest on this because we talked about sexuality earlier. Um, and you know, people that have spinal cord injuries or, you know, that have self image issues that there is like virtual reality, you know, pornography out there that, um, I explored and I'm serious about this for research science. Um, but I was at a conference (laughs) where they're showing, you know, this and, um, and I mean, my very first thought was occupational therapy. I'm not even going to lie. It wasn't about getting these pleasures and joys. It was about what if I had somebody who didn't have these, these abilities um, or that maybe, you know, they had a social phobia now um, and wanted to be able to experience life like other people did um, or in a grandiose scale, scale, like VR is a place that you could explore some of that. And I think it's, I think it's healthy. I think it's warranted. um, And I think it's potentially, you know, the future of, 
you know, what some of that can be also, you know, so it's about harnessing technology to achieve occupational independence. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting future. It's, uh, yeah. And uh, with all those sort of technologies, like it's, and it's always been the way gaming is what like people go on about how rapidly the, you know, computers and the tech industry is growing and developing and things are getting faster and, you know, at one point, hard drives were doubling in size every year, and, and it's all driven by the gaming industry. So yeah. this, yeah. like, it, once I think VR gets incorporated into gaming and it's sustainable and, you know, it's easily accessible, I think that is when we're going to see a massive boom in VR in heaps of industries. Like, that's when it'll take off in hospital. That's when it'll take off in communication. That's when... It will become like social media is for us now. Like it's just yeah. embedded in society. Yeah. And like yeah. a lot of tech throughout, like there's two things that have driven tech for the whole time. It's the military and gaming. They're the two things absolutely. that have absolutely driven the majority of tech that we have. Like Teslas wouldn't happen yeah. without all of the uh, military technology and gaming and the progress that gaming You're has right. driven through computers. Like all of your big tech companies, Google, Intel, Apple, all that wouldn't exist without those two things. And big entities, yeah. It's it's so it's exciting, I guess, to be able to now be in a place where we've been in a place for a while where uh, we've kind of just been kind of playing catch up, but now we're in a place where we can almost sort of start seeing what the next next aspect of tech is going to be. And uh, yeah, right. I, I do yeah. think that the VR is going to be a big part of that. Yeah. And I think, I think you're going to see a lot of augmented reality stuff too. Like Minecraft just came out with a really cool app that essentially is going to, you can build around your world. I mean, you can build onto your house and, you know, you don't see it, but when you put your phone up, you'll be able to see these different cool structures that you built onto your, yeah, you know, your amazing. physical house, but virtually like you can build a pool into your backyard. You could, you know, have barn animals in your, you know, back fence, you know, so uh, there's a lot of cool things that are going to happen. Um, and I mean, they're really starting to blow up. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Pokemon Go. I still play all the time. And, uh, you know, matter of fact, I need to get to South Australia just get some regional exclusives <laughs> trying, to, trying to get some of our pokemon if they're different exactly <laughs> no that's awesome man you know i just want to kind of end with um being able to challenge other ot's um just again you know we talked about it a little bit but to really challenge ot's to um you know start looking at you know how do i more functionally use technology um as um, a positive thing as compared to you know something that you know because video games get so much bad press you know technology gets so much bad press because people just assume that it's you know it's terrible everybody has their heads down and all this stuff but really it just it's a place where you know technology opens worlds to us that we haven't had before and so i think that you know we'd be naive not to continue to explore those things um and you know not shut them out but be able to actually better use them in a place that um you know uh kind of uh opens that window to again what we've been talking about occupational independence you know and um i really just uh feel that if we start to um you know pull all this in that we're going to be a lot more um, kind of useful to um, our, our patients, our clients, 
um, it's going to be something that we can't really avoid. I mean, it's just, it's, it's going to happen, you know? So yeah, that's awesome. Do it. If people wanted to look you up, find more about your work, where, where can they track you down online? Not track you down, but see you, see your stuff. Well, um, so I'm on all those social medias, uh, OT unleashed. Um, that's a, a good place to find me. Um, and I have my, I have my own website. It's called ericunleashed.com. And, uh, that's got kind of a little of everything. So my OT stuff, it's got, you know, some of my photography that I like to do and all kinds of different things about me. Um, and, uh, and I really want to encourage people to check out Warfighter Engaged. Um, you know, we are a, a veteran nonprofit organization that can only exist by the generosity of our donors. We'd love for people to get involved. Um, you know, we provide all our services for free to veterans, but, you know, uh, that, uh, that comes with a price on our side. So anything that people could do to help, that's fantastic. Um, and also my, the mental health side of things, I, um, also am the chief medical officer op for operation supply drop. And, um, that's kind of the big kind of mental health part of the, part of the, um, mission for veterans and everything. We develop uh, strong communities throughout the world, uh, with our NATO ANZAC allies and U S troops and whatnot, um, trying to build stronger communities and uh, through community outreach events and whatnot. So um, that stuff is real important, obviously, to me as well. So, um, so yeah, the big three is ericunleashed.com, war, warfighterengage.org, and uh, uh, weareosd.org. So those are the three big ones. For, for people, the, the Warfighter Engage website was where I was actually looking when I, you can see all of those different adaptive controls. Well, not, probably not all the ones you've done, but quite a selection. And some of them are just creative and amazing and definitely worth a look for, for anyone having a listen. And yeah, definitely get involved if you're able to because yeah, you're doing some absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal work out there. It's, it's really wicked to see and I can't wait to see, I guess, where you, where you go with yeah. it. Who knows, man? You just keep opening the doors and crash your fingers that they keep being good, good, good entries. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for having a chat, man. It's been amazing. Uh, lovely to yeah. finally have a, a conversation after yeah. following your career for probably oh, probably <laughs> eight or nine years now. Who knows? But yeah, it's been, it's been a blast. So thanks. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor. And uh, man, looking forward to seeing you over on this side of the pond in Boston next year. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs>